Welcome back, everyone, to the Understanding Climate Finance podcast after a brief summer hiatus. We're really happy to be back and uh, talking to our guests. So as you know, this year, COP26 is scheduled for November in Glasgow, and we're starting to hear more and more about climate finance in the news. An important mechanism for the distribution of climate finance, particularly from the IFIs, is through impact investment funds, who are arguably closer to the ground to the beneficiaries than the larger financial institutions. Deacon Impact is a prime Canadian example of an effective impact investment fund that has worked extensively in Latin America and the Caribbean. Therefore, today, I am pleased to welcome Alexa Blaine, co-founder and managing partner of Deacon Impact, where, together with its affiliates Deacon Impact Sustainable Energy and Adobe Capital, she oversees the management of $150 million in impact assets. You may remember Alexa from the Climate Finance Roundtable back in May when she talked about the supply of capital and climate finance. You can listen to that session in episode nine of this podcast series or watch it on our YouTube channel. So thank you, Alexa, for joining us. Thanks, Fahim. Great to see you again. So I thought maybe we could just start out by, you could give us a little bit of background on Deacon and who are your partners and beneficiaries. Sure, happy to do that. So Deacon Impact, uh, we're based in Vancouver, Canada. We're a registered investment fund manager, but the majority of our staff are based in Latin America, in Costa Rica, Mexico, and in Guatemala, Honduras, Jamaica. And together we manage five investment funds, all of which invest in the Latin America and Caribbean region, but each has a different mandate and focus area. And all five, uh, you know, do have climate action as an impact objective and uh, can invest in in renewable energy or adjacent uh, sectors. However, two of the funds that we manage are specifically focused on climate action in Central America and the Caribbean. And these two funds, which uh, is the Dietgen Impact Sustainable Energy Business, They provide mezzanine financial instruments that are needed by small and medium-sized developers to support the transition to clean energy. And, you know, this mandate gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of the kinds of projects that we support and the kind of financing that we can provide. So, for example, you know, we can do a common equity investment in a utility-scale solar PV power plant and we've done that, you know, for example, in the Dominican Republic, we recently financed an expansion into a larger capacity second phase of a project that will now be about 71 megawatts and will be one of the largest of its type in the Caribbean. That's a, a more traditional project finance type transaction. But at the same time, we place a lot of emphasis on distributed generation projects, which we consider to be a really key component to the transition to clean energy in the region. And, you know, with these projects, we're usually providing very tailored financing to, you know, for example, a special purpose vehicle that consolidates a number of solar installations with commercial and industrial clients into, you know, one transaction that we can finance on a portfolio basis. And these distributed generation projects are are really important because they allow businesses in the region to source energy more cheaply. And so we really think that kind of flexible financing, and especially where it's accompanied with non-financial support, like technical assistance, incubation, um, and acceleration services, is uh, is really critical if we actually want to achieve a clean energy transition in the emerging markets. You know, traditional financing 
no matter how much of it, is really not going to get us where we need to be because these markets are, are unique. They're changing rapidly and, and they can be unpredictable. So the focus really has to be on empowering local sponsors to get projects across the finish line. That's really interesting. And, and I like your last point about empowering local businesses and, and, and everyone that's sort of on the ground. And clearly that's an objective of the IFIs that you work with as well. Mm-hmm. Back in May, during the Klamath Roundtable, you had talked about your experience working with the different DFIs and what made it a match. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to go a little bit deeper into that and see if you could tell me how those conversations start with, let's say, IDB Lab, for example, and how long it took from the first conversation to signing an agreement and the role that the of the DFIs after the agreement has been reached, what role that they play. Yeah, I mean, I think partnering with DFIs is really critical to to our mission. And certainly a number of our funds have DFIs as anchor investors. And typically those relation relationships, I would say, are several years in the making. You know, in the case of the sustainable energy funds, you know, those funds were formed in response to a request for proposals by the IDB lab that was seeking to really catalyze small and medium-sized projects in Central America and later in the Caribbean. Uh, and so I would say from end to end, that was for sure, you know, maybe three years before the funds were were launched because there was a period mm-hmm. where we focused exclusively on developing pipeline, right? And, and ensuring that there would be sufficient pipeline once the funds uh, were raised. And, you know, that was, that was really an important uh, plank of getting those funds together and building investor confidence to achieve the commitments and the target fund size that we needed to be effective. And, you know, we partner with DFIs in a number of different ways to achieve specific development or, or impact objectives. So we have DFIs as limited partners in our managed funds, uh, as lenders to our managed funds, as first loss capital providers to funds. And then we also have technical assistance facilities provided by DFIs, which are effectively structured more like a grant uh, or non-repayable capital contribution to the manager or to the fund, usually to support deeper engagement with portfolio companies, especially where, you know, you may need to work really closely with a sponsor or with a company management team to get them to the point of financeability or to achieve other impact objectives around, you know, for example, gender business objectives or whatever kind of the, the, the focus of the fund is. I really want to get into the developing pipeline part of it is, you know, as to you're getting um, investor confidence. When you're developing the pipeline, what do the DFIs look for or, you know, what is what appeals to the DFIs when you're presenting the pipeline to them? And how do you change it uh, back to in accordance with the criteria that they're looking for? That's a good question. I mean, I think it's really about the quality of the pipeline and perhaps the timeline to financial close. So being able to show companies that are, are truly ready to receive capital, because certainly one thing that we've experienced is it invariably takes longer to close transactions than you expect at the outset. And often that can be because, um, you know, the sponsor may need some support in terms of debottlenecking the project or addressing some gaps that the project may have. And so I think one thing that we see as helpful with the development finance institutions is, you know, being able to kind of triage the pipeline to really identify those projects that don't have any critical defects or bottlenecks and can, will be able to kind of get to financial close either without any support because they're really ready to go. And certainly we have some companies like that in our portfolio 
or with, you know, with a, a reasonable amount of support from the manager. Okay. And I think that sort of leads me to my next question because we've sort of kind of answered it already is what does a successful investee look like? So what do you look for in, in a pipeline to make it strong? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Um, well, I mean, clearly the, the first thing we look for or we look at is the sponsor, right? And really looking for an experienced project developer that is bringing motivation, uh, experience, capacity. You know, we recently did a transaction in Jamaica with a company called Soleco. And in that case, the CEO, uh, a woman by the name of Angela Rainford, you know, clearly had had all three. She was extremely accomplished, you know, in her professional career, you know, ex-Goldman Sachs investment banker, originally from Jamaica. She really knew the country and the sector and, you know, was the driving force behind um, the Paradise Park solar project in Jamaica, which is like a 50 megawatt solar farm, one of the largest of its kind, and, and currently generating some of the cheapest energy ever produced in the country. So when you see that kind of a background, you know, you can definitely tick the box on, on project sponsor. It gives you a lot of confidence that the project will advance, reach financial close, and operate successfully thereafter. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond the sponsor, the other thing we are looking for is the revenue profile of the project. The vast majority of our investees will have some kind of a contracted revenue profile. And so what we're looking for there is a quality off-taker. In the case of Soleco, to go back to that example, you know, the investment was anchored by an off-take agreement with a large vertically integrated, in this case, a poultry business in Jamaica. And and then there are a number of other established and important companies in the pipeline for that business to expand to other clients down the road. So again, that that's the sort of thing that really gives us confidence that there's going to be a buyer for the power and that there's a good power purchase agreement in place. And then I think lastly, you know, as I mentioned previously, we're just really looking that there's no like critical defects or or bottlenecks in the project. So we're going to want to see that list, you know, that there's site control, there's a plan for social and environmental risk management, there is a community engagement strategy, that they're using proven technologies, and, and there's really a long list of things. However, we don't need everything to, to be in place in order to move forward. You know, part of our job, part of our mandate really is to catalyze projects and, and bring them to bankability. So if the overall project is sound and attractive, but perhaps there is a gap in, in one area, that's where we can provide advice and other support to the sponsor to, to help them move forward. You know, in the case of, of Soleco, there, there weren't any such kind of material bottlenecks, but, you know, we did still need to be innovative in the way that the deal was structured. And, you know, ultimately we provided our investment through a special purpose vehicle to finance a portfolio of solar uh, PV distributed generation projects, each of which might have been too small on its own to, to finance, mm-hmm. but together it really made sense for the fund. So, and actually, you know, for companies that are interested, we do include our criteria on our website. So on the Deetkin Impact Sustainable Energy page, you can kind of scroll down and there's an area where you can download a PDF showing our the criteria that we're looking for, and then you can respond through a web form uh, to, to kind of share your project with us so that we can add it to them. That's great. Yeah. So everybody go to the website and check it out if you're interested <laughs> in working with, uh, with Deacon. Uh, so one of the, you know, like you said, everything is always in place. And I'm sure, you know, when you're looking at your partners in a certain agreement, government plays a big, whether it's an off-taker or just policy. So what are the resources that you use to sort of 
engage with the go- with the local government to make sure that you know you're sort of de-risking this project. Yeah. So I mean, I guess from our perspective, as a, you know, providing capital to project sponsors, we're seldom engaging directly with government. Our portfolio companies may have uh, power purchase agreements with the national utility, but usually that's going to be their relationship. And so for us, we're just really looking to validate the quality of that power purchase agreement and really understand the creditworthiness of the utility, right? Which can certainly vary in the markets in which we, we operate. It's not always going to be a creditworthy counterparty. And in many of the markets where we work, you know, a, a high quality commercial or industrial client may be a better quality off-taker than the and the utility. Really, it really like depends. In Jamaica. So yeah. So we kind of have to do that assessment each time. Yeah. Oh. And you know, when sort of sticking with the partners, when you're looking at your own partners, whether they're LPs into the fund, what do you look for in in your partners, or how can you, how do you work with other company Canadian companies or other companies as you're sort of coming in, into these markets? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, certainly we have uh, a lot of Canadian investors in our fund. That's been mm-hmm. you know really a, a key part of of why we built this business in the first place was mm-hmm. to create a way for Canadians to invest in international impact because there aren't that many ways for us to do so compared to what might be available to US or European investors. But in addition, you know, we we're really open to partnership with other Canadian firms who are active in the region or who can bring attractive pipeline opportunities to our fund or to our funds. And yeah, so I mean, I think we're always looking to continue to build our networks and, you know, work with other Canadian parties, you know, perhaps as co-investors as well is a way that, that we've worked together in the past. So it can be in lots of different ways. Okay, great. And just really briefly back on sort of working with the IFIs and DFIs, what are some good pointers that you could give to anyone else looking to work with them? I mean, you said, you know, being patient, basically, because it took about three years to build out the pipeline. But anything else that you could suggest to anybody that's sort of looking to start a partnership with the FINDEV Canada's of the world or IFCs or IDB Invest? Yeah, absolutely. I I think the first thing is to really understand what their focus area is, because those do change over time. You know, that they'll have typically a specific sector or region or approach that they're looking to address at any kind of given point in time. And so I think it's important to understand that and to to kind of try and build relationships where you see the best fit. Certainly for us, you know, as, as we were kind of building our business, we responded to a lot of RFPs, right? And there are a number of, of windows that are actually designed for emerging managers that can be a really good fit if you're doing something uh, innovative that perhaps larger, more established managers aren't doing that, you know, DFIs often have kind of conduits for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were really looking to kind of build that relationship over time. So I think really keep your eye on the with the long view that this is not about this one transaction, but about, you know, perhaps many transactions over many years and and bring a real spirit of, of partnership and trying to achieve your mutual objectives. Okay. And, and let me flip the question a little bit in saying, if companies want to work with you, how should they prepare to talk to you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like we're an investment fund manager. So when we invest, the opportunity 
has to fit within the mandate of one of our funds, right? right. So I think the first step is is just to kind of understand those mandates and and the the stages of companies that we can invest in and the kind of instruments that we provide our regions of interest and our, our impact focus areas. You know, in the case of sustainable energy projects, I mentioned that there is um, a section on our website where you can check out our investment criteria and, you know, see if right. there's a fit. But, you know, beyond that, I think a referral from an existing investor always goes a really long way. As an investor, it's really helpful for us to speak with someone else that has invested in your business. It can be kind of a shortcut in terms of understanding some of the, you know, the key risks and merits of the business and, you know, from someone that's also reviewed the opportunity from that perspective. And yeah, I mean, like we really appreciate, you know, some of the work that Global Affairs Canada is doing to build that network for climate finance Mm -hmm. in Canada. We've made some really good connections, you know, through these roundtables, through training sessions, and even, you know, through directly working with trade commissioners to kind of open doors with development finance institutions or connect us with co-investors. So, yeah, I mean, that's been, I think, really helpful for us as a Canadian investment manager. Good. Well, great. Glad we could <laughs> <help>. <laughs> All right. Well, we've, we've reached our time today. Thank you so much, Alexa, for being here now for the, the second time, because the first time, as I said, you had helped out with the Climate Finance Roundtable and really provide some really good insights along with JCM Power and FinDev Canada. So I really appreciate you being here. And to our audience, we are going to continue with the series and look for another episode in another month. But in the meantime, please feel free to reach out to me and I can put you in touch with Alexa and others if you're interested. And I look forward to talking with all of you in another month. So thank you. Thanks so much, Fahim. Pleasure to be here.